0: On your Thursday episode of Locked On Raptors, we have a mailbag for you. You, the listeners, have asked questions. I am going to answer them. Questions include those like, what is Will Barton's deal? Where is he going to fit in on this team? Are we actually okay if he takes Jeff Doughton Jr.'s minutes? Plus, is Pascal Siakam the type of dude who can hold up in the postseason? All that and so much more on today's mailbag edition of Locked On Raptors. Thanks so much for hanging. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number thirteen fifty-one of Locked Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm your host, Sean. We'll been covering the Toronto Raptors now for nine seasons on various platforms you can find all of my work over on twitter at woodley sean you can follow subscribe to rate and review the podcast for free on your favorite podcast apps and of course we are on youtube please go hit the big red subscribe button you can't miss it it's right on the screen right there uh if you go to the lockdown raptors youtube channel even if you're not going to watch the videos every day we support Appreciate the support. We appreciate the number juicing and all that good stuff. So thanks in advance for doing that. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on today to get. Started. All right. on today's show, we got a lot of mailbag questions, some pretty interesting ones as well. I'm glad we are through the trade deadline season where every single question is about potential trades for the Raptors, and we're just talking about the hoop now. It's beautiful. The Raptors, they have two games against the Washington Wizards starting tonight into Saturday that are going to be very important, and so hopefully these mailbag questions can take you and carry you off into the tip-off of the game against the Wizards tonight, in which the Raptors uh, look to be fully healthy. Look to be, uh, you know, hoping for a Will Barton revenge game and all of that. We'll get to Will Barton a little later on the show. We'll get to Pascal Siakam and a really interesting question about his playoff, uh, I guess, equity as a player. We'll do that. Uh, And we got a lot of sort of bigger picture team building stuff as well. But let's begin with this wonderful question from our pal Freddie Rivas. Regular question asker, host of the Confederacy of Dunks podcast, which I believe I'll be on very soon. Uh, Freddie asks, what player benefits most from Jakob Pertle's presence, and this is a fascinating question, because I think you can make an argument for a whole lot of dudes, uh, because Jakob pertle we've talked about the cascading effects of his arrival. It's helped guys be a, a little bit more sort of sure of themselves defensively. It's put guys into better positions defensively, because their responsibilities no longer include pretending to be a center when they're actually not. We've seen... The on-ball defenders have a little bit more cushion to get up into the teeth of guys and and really kind of bother them on ball, get a little more aggressive, hunt those passing lanes. Because they know Jakob is back there to clean up a lot of the messes that were just simply getting left on the floor to get all sticky and gross uh, in the, the pre-Jakob era of this team. Um, on offense, of course, he makes life easier by being an outlet in the pick and roll. He is a guy who can create a little offense himself from the elbows and the sort of short post area where he's picking out cutters, looking for passers, even kind of showing he's got a little bit of juice on his own post-ups as well with that gorgeous floater that he has. And that helps a lot of people as well. I think the answer here is Fred Van Vliet, just because finally Fred Van Vliet gets to flex his muscles. As a playmaker, he gets to run, pick, and roll with Jakob pertle and of course, his biggest struggle this season, while his three-point shot's been you know, up and down for sure, his biggest struggle has been his on-ball defense, and that's less of a pronounced concern when there's not just a layup line behind him when guys do blow by him. He's obviously still a very good help defender. You get Jakob pertle in there to kind of be that line of resistance. Those dig downs from Fred are all the more uh, effective now. Because there is that last line of defense, it gives time for those recovering rotations to come back and help Um, and I think offensively I mean it's just we've seen it right I I went through the numbers yesterday on the show the Raptors have a plus 20 net rating 121 offensive rating 101 defensive rating with Jakob Pirtle and Fred Van Vliet that two-man duel on the floor they really play off of one another really nicely and I think you know I'll also take my cues on this one just from the way Fred has looked and smiled when asked about Jakob Pertl since he came around. He just seems like he's relieved. He's excited to have a real big man to throw balls to, a real lob threat. Not so much a lob threat, but just like a big target on the roll. And so I think it's Fred. You could make an argument for OG Ananobi, I think, and that's that's maybe kind of a secret answer uh, that no one would really come to first. But I do think you know the threes that OG Ananobi should be getting as he kind of gets more ingratiated back into the offense as the Raptors get back to full health here um you know I think they should be very good threes you have a lot of ball ball handling a lot of swing actions that are going to lead to him having wide open corner threes on defense he is free to be as nasty and as aggressive as he wants to be because he has that backliner defense he's not being asked as well to go in battle with big bruising centers as really the Raptors best option strength wise to go up against Against those big guys. Um, you know, I think he's going to be so happy when the Raptors play the Denver Nuggets in the next couple weeks here a couple times uh, to not have to be the primary on Nikola Jokic as admirably as he's performed in that role in the past. Um, so I think OG's a bit of a stealth answer here. Obviously, the burden on Pascal Siakam is less as well. Uh, you know, in theory, the depth that Jakub Hurdle brings makes it so Pascal can play 34-35 minutes as opposed to 41-42 every single night. That's that might be an argument in Pascal's favor. Ultimately, I think it's Fred. But again, every single player on this team benefits from the arrival of Jakob Pertl. And uh, as does my general like levels of hypertension as well, because it's much more relaxing and calming to watch a team play normal basketball than it is playing the scattershot weirdo ball they were playing before. Uh, let's get to this next question here. This also comes from our pal, Freddie Rivas, who is dominating the first segment. Once again, we had another question about this as well. I apologize. I don't know if I dropped it into my little queue here, Uh, but there were a couple questions. I think Blue Steel from Twitter also sent this question in. Uh, Freddie asks, are you good with Will Barton taking Malachi and Downton's minutes? Um, So I'm totally fine if Malachi Flynn isn't playing minutes. That's for sure. Uh, (laughs) Very all right with that. I think everybody knows my sort of belief level in Malachi Flynn being an NBA player. There's none, uh, and so I'm not worried about him kind of being moved out of the rotation. It doesn't feel like he's in the long-term plans. Despite the Raptors picking up his option for next year— you know, they can wiggle around that, maybe move him in, move him in the offseason if he's not going to be part of the long-term plans here. Um, I do understand if there are some gripes, though, if it's going to be Will Barton taking Jeff Doughton's full, full complement of minutes. Doughton's down with the 905, as is Coloco, as is Banton, as is Ron Harper Jr., which is, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, as kind of detailed yesterday by our friend Blake Murphy, who's got a great pulse in the 905. Uh, those guys are going down. The Raptors are on the road. The 905 are at home, and so it's le- Likely, uh, for the next couple weeks here at least, that those guys are just going to get consistent regular run with 905, barring some sort of injury necessitating a call-up. And that's, I I think, awesome for Coloco's development, for Banton, for for Ron Harper. The Raptors have badly needed this sort of shadow core of talented players coming up to potentially fill in the gaps of guys maybe leaving or uh, trade you know, possibilities, that type of stuff. The way the Raptors built that shadow core back in the day was through the 905, and we're finally seeing, for the first time in a couple years, some consistent run for some Raptors prospect types down with the 905. Again, I watched the Raptors 905 play in motor, against the Motor City Cruise in Detroit on Saturday in person. I was two uh, rows behind the Raptors 905 bench bench. Uh, it's a valuable place for these guys to be playing. They're getting regular run. Christian Coloco is getting to throw cool passes and, and try out some of that elbow stuff that we see Yaka pertle run. The, the Raptors have historically liked to run with their bigs or even Thad Young, for example. Uh, so all of that's going to be good, I think. Doughton, I think, is maybe a little more ready for NBA minutes than some of the other guys who were down there. And I wouldn't mind seeing Doughton on the team just as a defensive option. Of course, the Raptors have struggled with really good guards in the past this season and having... Jeff Doughton in there to be a bit of a, an ace in the hole, as it were, to go and guard those guys would be nice. That said, I don't know if he offers enough offensively right now where you're like just lusting to have Jeff Doughton on the floor for 25 minutes a game or anything like that. And if Will Barton can offer some offensive juice then maybe that balances out the loss of the defensive acumen of Jeff Doughton, who probably at full health with OG and Trent and Fred all back in the lineup isn't going to play a ton anyway. Um, You know, look, it's not uh, ideal to not have Doughton around. I think he's obviously earned some burn here for the Raptors, but I would also think what he's done this year probably puts him into the plans for next year, in which I don't think Will Barton will be around. I don't think we'll see Malachi Flynn competing for regular minutes again. And it might be that Jeff Doughton can come into camp and really compete for you know full-time backup minutes if he really really wants to. And so I'm not too perturbed about it. I get why people might be disappointed to see less Doughton, but the offensive juice in theory that Will Barton can offer is is nice if he's able to kind of put together something resembling his past form he was not at all good with the wizards but again revenge game tonight we'll see if he's able to pull off the uh (laughs) the the, the return to form from his denver days against his old squad uh in the first of two and we got more will barton to come up on the other side as well uh sort of along these lines and you know is he going to you know offer more beyond just potential ninth man offensive punch we'll get to that question. We also have questions about Fred Van Vliet and Scotty Barnes and there's sort of, you know, there's synergy on the floor. Who's gonna create, who's not gonna create, who's gonna work off ball, that type of stuff. We will get to all of that in just one second. Before we do that, however Got to tell you about our dear friends over at FanDuel, the number one sports book in North America. And right now is the perfect time to get in on the action. It is the stretch run of the NBA season. It's very exciting. The ball has been incredible over the last week or so with guys rested and lots on the line standing, standings wise. And if you want to get in on the action as well, to drum up the excitement as well, FanDuel is the place to go because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back. If your first bet doesn't win, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores to three-pointers drained. You can also go and do my favorite thing, which is the same game parlay. You're watching one game, you want to juice up the action just a little bit. You can pick a few players and pick the over-under on points, rebounds, assists, whatever it might be, the score, who's going to win, the outcome. It's all available for you in the same game parlay and it's a really nice way to drum up that excitement in a game where uh, maybe you're just watching a couple teams for scoreboard watching reasons and you want to get a little bit more joy out of a hawks heat game in late february or early march Uh, that's there for you don't miss the chance to get your no sweat first bet up to one thousand dollars in bonus bets when you go to fanduel.com slash locked on that's fanduel.com slash locked on to learn more make every moment more with fanduel an official sports betting partner of the nba All right, we continue on here with your mailbag episode here on a Thursday. Continuing on the Will Barton thread, Russo Man from YouTube sent this question in, uh, and it's a good one, asking, let's see here. Uh, Regarding Will Barton, is he just for scoring in veteran presence? Is it possible he was brought in as a model mentor for the development of Joe Wieskamp? Am I giving Wieskamp too much credit in management decision making by even suggesting that as a factor? Factor. Thanks for the question, Russo. Man, nice to have a new question asker in the mix. Uh, I don't think that there's many lines to be drawn between Will Barton and Joe Wieskamp. Honestly, Uh, Joe Wieskamp might be a guy. He's down in the 905 as well now, too. Going to get some extended run hopefully kind of learning the system and getting a little more comfortable. He has seemed totally lost in the Raptors offense over the last uh, couple appearances he's been in there. I saw him in the flesh in that Cleveland game, and boy, oh boy, that was one of the most... um, I guess non NBA looking performances by an NBA player I've ever seen. It was really, really bad. Uh, obviously he's got some shooting acumen and that's what they're going to try to, you know, milk out of his time on the team. I would assume, I would guess they're going to work in a lot of stuff or maybe he's working off of Christian Coloco at the elbow, get a little two man action going, that type of stuff in the nine Oh five. Uh, you know, some of the stuff they might run for a Gary Trent jr. For example, at the big club, get that synergy between big club and nine Oh five going for the first time in a while here. Um, I don't know if Will Barton has much impact on the Joe Wieskamp thing. I don't even think they're very similar type players, right? Wieskamp's more of a catch and shoot guy. Will Barton has some offensive punch. He can get into the teeth of the defense, that type of thing, and also hit the threes. That uh, apparently I just re- uh, learned yesterday. He's the all time Denver Nuggets leader in three pointers made, but there's a chance when the Raptors play the Nuggets next week that Jamal Murray could pass him on the night of, which is really weird and hilarious. I don't know. Anyway, side, fun side note. You know, back to the Will Barton thing. Ultimately, I don't think you can expect a ton from Will Barton here. Again, he was one of the worst rotation players by every metric in the entire NBA playing for the Wizards this season. Um, If he comes in and chips in good ninth, tenth man minutes, I I think that's uh, you're kind of swimming in gravy at that point. Wouldn't I love to swim in gravy? That'd be nice. Um, But I'm gross. Uh, Yeah, I I think, uh, you know... Temper expectations on Will Barton, and certainly I wouldn't read too much into sort of grand developmental schemes being tied to the arrival of Will Barton. Though his veteran presence, the fact that he's been around the block quite a bit um, and that he seems like a guy people kind of like, uh, all good good reasons to have him around. Certainly, as buyout guys go, uh, you could do a lot worse than Will Barton, I'm sure. Uh, let's get to this really interesting question from Philly P, who asks, How confident are we in Pascal Siakam's ability to lead the team in the playoffs Uh, this is a really interesting question of course we've seen Wide ranges of outcomes for Pascal in the playoffs before. He was fantastic as the third option on the championship season. I guess he was the second scoring option technically, but you know we know Kyle Lowry was the second best player and kind of the guy who drove things on that team. I certainly would say Pascal was the third best player. Um, I might even say, honestly, like Marcus Gasol was the third best player based on what he, uh, he provided defensively. But still, Pascal Siakam, incredible. Not trying to denigrate him in any way. He was a massive part of the championship run. Him and Kawhi Leonard combined for the second, Second most points by a duo ever, behind only Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen in a playoff run. He was really freaking good. That was in a more sort of complimentary role, an opportunistic role, not creating so much for himself necessarily. We saw in the bubble against Boston, this was the nadir of his career. Defensively, he was outstanding, which should be said. He always brings defense, at the very least. It's not like think of the worst DeMar DeRozan playoff games where his offense was brutal and his defense remained awful. And so he became unplayable to the point that he was benched in a couple of situations. I think game three, for example, against the Cavs in 2018, uh, a game that I had circling through my head as I sat in that arena in Cleveland on Sunday, uh, feeling not so good about it and envisioning where OG Ananobi was when uh, LeBron James hit that buzzer beater off glass. I digress. Um, you know, I, <laughs> what am I saying? Pascal Siakam in the playoffs. I've lost my train of thought. He's, you know, again, in that Celtics series, had the nadir of his career obviously was incredible defensively they don't make it to game seven without his defense in that series especially considering how went how much they went small and how much he was tasked as being that last line of defense for their defense um, but offensively it was a nightmare you know posting up Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart over and over again with the same result over and over again the definition of insanity that's what happened for Pascal Siakam in those playoffs and I understand if you still have that series kind of embedded in your mind as like a, a bit of a warning sign of Pascal C. Ockham's playoff viability. I will then turn your attention to last season, where he was fantastic for the Raptors against the Sixers. 23-7-6, 1-1 on near 56% true shooting, which is very good for the playoffs for a lead guy who's got all the attention on him. Of course, the team was short-handed; Gary Trent Jr. missed time. Fred Van Vliet was totally broken and injured. Scotty Barnes missed a game or two. Um, you know, it, it was a really difficult circumstance for Pascal Siakam to operate in and he was still outstanding for the better part of that series I think he had like one down game if I recall but he also like completely won them game five and was outstanding and so I think the reason I'm pretty optimistic about Pascal's sort of ability to carry over what he does into the playoffs is that he does it against really Almost playoff-like defenses. He did it all down the stretch last season where they were without Fred VanVleet for long stretches. OG, Trent in and out it was he was going up against defenses that were wholly selling out to stop Pascal Siakam and he was still making it work he was double teamed among the likes of Luka Doncic and Giannis Attentacupo among the most double team players in the league and the Raptors scored with blistering efficiency anytime that happened I think it was like 1.2 points per possession the number I think is burned into my brain at this point uh the NBA court optics number like 1.2 points per possession when Pascal Siakam was doubled last season uh that's a an incredible number that would be the best offense in NBA history out of double teams of the best player, meaning the ball is no longer in the best player's hands, and they still were able to score really well to that because Pascal's playmaking is just so far advanced from where it was back in that Boston series, where there just wasn't much playmaking, he didn't seem to have much desire for it, honestly. That was still Kyle Lowry's team, he was the main play initiator, the guy who drove the bus offensively, and that was not Pascal's gig. He's become such a better playmaker, such a better surveyor of the floor, such a better manipulator of space that I really think you can bank on Pascal Siakam essentially being himself once you get to the playoffs. Now, it's about degrees, right? Do I think Pascal Siakam is good enough on his own to lead a team to an NBA championship? No, I don't. And I don't think that's an indictment of Pascal Siakam because there are maybe seven players in the entire NBA who can do that and instantly put their team into something resembling contention. And Of course, they need good supporting casts around them as well. With Pascal, the supporting cast has to be excellent, right? There's got to be help for him. There's got to be shooting. There's got to be other guys who can create because he can't do everything by himself. That's just, you know, not everybody can be a perfect basketball player. Pascal has his foibles, but certainly not enough of them to make me think, oh, well, he shouldn't be on the team or anything like that. And I know some people will look at my statement of, can he lead the team to a championship? And my my answer being no, and will say, well, then you got to get rid of him. That's just a stupid, stupid way to think about team building in the NBA because, again, there are a tiny handful of players who are that dude who can carry a team to a title as the best player. If you don't have one, you don't just get rid of your good players in pursuit of whatever you're looking for to try to find that guy. You keep the good player. You try to be good. You try to be relevant. You try to be good over many years and then wait for your chance to strike, which is what the Raptors have done to great effect over the last decade or so to the greatest effect they want a championship and you have scotty barnes for upward mobility and if you can build a good enough supporting cast around pascal siakam we've seen teams maybe with not the best superstars but become these sort of better than the some of their parts type teams obviously the 2004 pistons are the greatest example of that but even the the dirk Nowitzki mavericks were an example of that dirk was still excellent obviously but it was a really perfect complimentary supporting cast they kind of caught lightning in a bottle I'm not saying that's going to happen for the Raptors in the next couple years here, but Pascal Siakam's really good. He can carry a team in the playoffs to series wins at the very least. And then it's about how does the rest of the supporting cast help? How does Scotty Barnes come along when you're looking at sort of punching through whatever ceiling might exist for this team? But uh, those are questions, I think, for a a couple years further down in the build, right? I know it feels like they're not in some sort of build right now because they have a lot of established players and all of that, but... This is a team that's building something. This team that's trying to add upon what they are now and internally grow incremental positive steps towards whatever they're going to get to two, three, four years from now. I think Pascal Siakam is part of it. And last season in the playoffs against the Sixers really kind of solidified for me. He's done it against a very good playoff defense in the Sixers. Joel Embiid in the past had given him a lot of trouble defensively. Think back to the Sixers series in 2019. Probably Pascal's worst of that playoff run. Worst of that playoff run that is. I think, uh, You know, to me, last year's playoffs did a lot to make me feel very good about Pascal Siakam's equity once you get to playoff time as a guy who's not going to see some sort of precipitous drop-off in his effectiveness like we've seen in the past, past, frankly, with the DeMar DeRozan on the Raptors. Uh, But a really good question from Philly P. We're going to continue on. we got a couple more really good questions from the listeners out there, including questions about the team-building process for the Raptors, and they're trying to zig while the league zags, and whether that's working, whether it should Get more time. Uh, also, Fred VanVleet Scotty Barnes, who should be on the ball more? We'll get to that and round out the show for you. Before we do that, just a reminder Locked on Leafs is your daily Toronto Maple Leafs podcast covering the Buds, who are very, very good. They lost last night, but you lose to Connor McDavid sometimes. That's just how it goes. They've been super busy ahead of the deadline tomorrow as well on the NHL side of things. So please go listen to Locked on Leafs if you're looking for your Buds fix. It's your favorite podcast on the Leafs. It's every day on your favorite podcast apps and on YouTube. All right, we have reached the final segment of this here mailbag episode. We will also at the end just kind of take a, a quick stock of where the Raptors sit standings-wise after the action last night. A good scoreboard night for the Raptors. The Knicks have now comfortably moved past the uh, Brooklyn Nets. The Miami Heat not looking so hot either. We'll get into sort of the math of what needs to be done here for the Raptors in just one sec. But your questions, let's continue with them. This one here comes from Jay Rich, I hear lots of comparisons of Raptors team building approach to traditional teams. It was curious: Are the Raptors not trying to do something different from the rest of the league, similar to what the Warriors once did, for example? And if they are, how many seasons/slash times should they be allowed to properly evaluate, i.e., the whole vision six foot nine thing? This is a really good question. I do think. We might have already kind of gone through the window of evaluating whether or not the Vision 6-9 thing as sort of it's red, which is, you know, everyone on the team is 6-9 and no one else is outside of that range of players. I think we're past that, right? I feel like we've learned over the last year and a half that while there are certainly some benefits to it of having just really big players across the board, and while I I still think like the philosophy behind you know, the idea of having big players who are skilled on the floor is like probably where basketball is going. I just don't know if there are enough players right now who are that size who bring the requisite skills to play normal basketball. And as much as we'd like to change and, you know, break the wheel and reimagine basketball in some new way, uh, it's been played for a hundred years the same way with uh, a center and a point guard. And, you know, you fill in the gaps in between. But to have those sort of fence posts, those pillars of basketball, it's just the way the sport is played, and it works. Having ball handling at the point guard position and creation and shooting is very valuable. Having a real center who can screen and dive and score around the rim and defend the rim, that's really important to basketball, regardless of uh, even the Warriors, like, they had that. Draymond Green was able to do center things at six foot six, which made him an anomalous player and made the Warriors an anomalous team. The Warriors also had Steph freaking Curry and Clay freaking Thompson, two of like the three best shooters of all time, and that made it so their team building model could work. The Raptors don't have those outlier skills. They have maybe outlier length, but I still think you need those skills more than you need the physical dimensions to really make it all sing. And so, like, I don't think the idea of having big players, 6'8", 6'9", wing types on the team is going anywhere. I think they're still going to try to collect as many of those players as they can. But I do think the move for Jakob Pertl and sort of, I think the very clear reestablishment of how important Fred Van Vliet is over this last little while um, kind of show that as much as the Raptors are trying something different or were trying something different, there are limitations to that just because the talent pool of players who are 6'8", 6'9", is limited, right? You only can get your hands on so many of those players, and only so many of those players have the skills you need to play proper basketball where the geometry of the floor makes sense. And players who have been playing basketball this way their entire lives know what's going on. I do think that's probably a big part of why it's been hard for the Raptors when they've gone with these smaller, you know, wing heavy looks is like this is not a brand of basketball these dudes have ever played, right? They've played their entire lives traditional basketball style and you throw this like a whole new blueprint at them and like knowing where to stand becomes difficult knowing whose role is which becomes difficult having those fence post pillar players in a yaka purl and a real point guard whether it's fred van vliet or someone else down the line that i I think is going it's not going to go out of style and and i think we've seen that kind of come clear over the course of this season that's a really good question though from Jay rich uh let's get to uh, oh god this question from anthony doyle How did that video of Precious and Malachi get approved? Um, So for those who were not online yesterday afternoon, the Raptors posted a a, a Women's History Month video uh, soliciting answers from their players as to why women are good. Really, really bad. Really out of touch. Uh, and, And the fact that Precious and Malachi could only come up with, well, because they can have children. Very bad. Ugly stuff. Uh, just like, I don't know who approved it. I, I feel badly, in a way, for uh, Precious and Malachi, and to a lesser extent, Scotty Barnes, whose answer was also not particularly good to the question of why are women great. Um, you know, you gotta be better than that, man. You just gotta, it's just, it's more dumb and foolish than I think nefarious and evil or anything like that. It's just a, a wildly baffling decision, and a really good example of why you should just never tweet. I think is kind of it. Um, I hope there's some sort of uh, like apology or something from the Raptors' social media staff. I'm not really sure, but uh, yeah, not not it by any means for a team that in the past has been very good with this stuff. And like, I'll go with their track record of um, you know diversity and inclusion and actually caring about this stuff. John Wiggins has been a big part of this, the director of diversity and inclusion for the team. Um, you know, I would imagine he wasn't thrilled with. That video either um, I'm sure there will be conversations and it will be rectified and all of that but yeah not a great look for the Raptors on International Women's Month uh, or Women's History Month International Women's Day I believe March 8th I think um, either way Good question. Uh, but really, really bad stuff from the Raptors. Uh, last one here comes from uh, the real biggie, MC Easy from YouTube. Would we rather see Fred VanVleet as the playmaker and Scotty as a score or vice versa? Personally, I think Freddy looks much better when he focuses on playmaking, even when his shot is abysmal. Um, I, I, this is for me, like, why not both? Like, I, I think we always get into these sort of. We paint ourselves into corners sometimes when we think about roles on teams and, like, who's the guy? Who's got the ball? Like, there are 48 minutes. There are 100 possessions, 110 possessions, 120 sometimes in your average basketball game. Like, there is plenty of room and ground and real estate for these guys to all flex their muscle muscles in various spots on the floor. Um, generally, I think a facilitating forward. Fred Van Vliet is a very good player where he's not looking for his own shot a ton where he's looking to set other guys up. That's great. That said, he needs the threat of his three-point shot to make the playmaking work, and it works so much better, you know, you run a pick-and-roll and and the team is worried about him popping for three from above the arc right around the screen, like, they have to uh, account for that, and that leads to a leverage point where you can get the ball to Jacoperto or whoever your short-roller is, sometimes it's Scotty Barnes, you do that, like, it's all interconnected, right? And, And so... I don't think you can paint these guys into one corner or another. I think Fred is probably better at both things right now as far as playmaking and scoring than, than Scotty Barnes is. Scotty obviously has the physical tools. He can score at the rim a lot better than Fred can. He can get to the rim whenever he wants. But as far as playmaking goes, um, you know, Fred's got the clear advantage there as it stands right now. Scotty's an amazing visionary passer, but playmaking and setting guys up to score is a little bit more of a difficult thing for him because he doesn't have the threat of the shot right now. Um, that'll come, I'm sure. I'm sure that's something, this is going to be a summer of working on his jumper, which will be a really big thing and important development for Scotty. And ultimately, I do think he will be the better of the two at both of these things down the line. But Fred Van Vliet's really good right now. And the playmaking he provides is really, really important. Um, And sort of in general, I I think, again, there's there's room for all of these guys to do all of these things. Him, Scotty Barnes, Pascal Siakam are the three fulcrums of the Raptors offense right now. They all get their chances to do things. Um, And as much as I think Fred works incredibly well off the ball too, what I've seen from him in that pick and roll with Jakob Pertl makes me a little bit more intrigued by him on the ball more often because of what that leads to for other guys. It leads to scoring opportunities for Scotty Barnes, cutting baseline for Yak to hit on the short roll and get those cutting passes in. Um, you know, it leads to all sorts of really good stuff and, and you know, pull up opportunities for Fred, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Be nice if Fred could hit his shots a little bit more often, of course, but I do think uh, you know there's not a reason to be too too worried about Fred or or Scotty being too dominant in one aspect of the game. They're going to share the load, and that's I think kind of by design. That's a lot of really good questions. Uh, love love the what we got in here from the people. Uh, you guys are all amazing. Thank you so much for sending them in. If you want to get questions in for future episodes, just keep an eye out. I'll put prompts on YouTube in the comments the day before mailbag shows. A uh, few people got their questions in that way. Also on Twitter. You can also sh- send me a DM as well as our pal Jay Rich did. And I'll always bookmark it for the next show. Thanks as always for sending those questions in. Lastly, just a quick standings update. Raptors going in two tonight against the Wizards. The Wizards are five and five in their last ten. The Raptors, of course, are eight and two. Raptors sit ninth at thirty-one and thirty-two. Wizards 29 and 32 in 10th place. Uh, the Bulls won last night. They're two games back in the lost column. I'm not too worried about the Bulls, honestly. <laughs> but the sort of standings picture as it is right now. The Knicks beat up on the Nets last night the Knicks are fifth. They're i think pretty out of reach and they're playing very good basketball right now. 7 in a row for them. Uh as hot a team as there is in the league, non-Milwaukee Bucks division, who have won 16 freaking games in a row. Uh boy. <laughs> they're they're a monster of a team. For the 6 seed right now, the new the, the Brooklyn Nets sit there at 34 and 28. They have the tiebreaker over the Raptors because the Raptors had the unfortunate uh, you know, lot of having to play essentially the full health KD Kyrie Nets four times in the first half of the season. I believe they lost all four of those games. They don't have the tiebreaker. Uh, so that hurts. They're, I guess, in practice, four and a half games back of the Nets right now as opposed to uh, just the, the sorry four games. Yeah, they're four back in the last column. It puts them essentially five back with that tiebreaker. So they have work to do, but the Nets are in free-for-all. They've lost four in a row. They're two and eight in their last 10. The Raptors have cut their deficit from eight to three and a half games just in their last 10 games alone. So I don't think passing the Nets is out of the question. The Heat, however, right now, to me, feel like the favorites for that sixth seed. And that's going to be a tough one to track down just because they have those wins banked. They're they're, they're two games up in the lost column on the Raptors right now. The Raptors play them one more time this year. Um, But like... As it sits right now, if the Raptors can just kind of take care of business against the Wizards here and then, you know, do what they can against the Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets on their road trip, I do think the sixth seed is not out of the question here. I know the strength of schedule says the Raptors have a hard schedule. I don't buy strength of schedule really as a metric right now because every team is like, I think it's like, what. 17 of the 30 teams are within three or four games of 500 Uh, you have uh, like some really bad teams sure but like everyone everyone kind of loads up on those teams and and it kind of all comes out in the wash to me the Raptors have had their time to play the bad teams everyone else will have their time to play the bad teams Um, and I just like you don't know who's gonna be available night tonight LeBron's gonna be out for the Lakers like the strength of schedule doesn't mean as much to me because of the, the the nature of guys being in another lineup and just the sort of clustered, parity-ridden nature of the league. Um, not so worried about the strength of schedule being a hindrance to the Raptors, but certainly the fact that they have uh, two and four games to make up in the loss column on both the Nets and Heat, not to mention the Hawks, who they're one game back of right now, uh, half a game back of. They can move into a tie, I guess, uh, win percentage-wise with a win tonight barring what they're pending, what the Hawks result is, but no, the sixth seed is is on the table is kind of my point to this little addendum to the podcast. Uh, And I look forward to the push for it as much as everyone's sick and tired of, uh, you know, (laughs) being in the middle, as it were. uh, This should be a lot of fun if they can make this run and uh, make a real push for it, because I don't think it's all that unlikely with how bad the nets are sliding right now. And we like to hang on to hope here, don't we? We're going to wrap it there. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back again tomorrow to break down the Raptors and Wizards, first of two games between those teams, and uh, round out your week. In the meantime, thank you so much for tuning in, and we will talk to you again. Uh, in the uh, Go check out Locked on Leafs as well. While you're at it, you can go make it your first listen of the day, or second listen of the day. We're the first, obviously, but go make Locked on Leafs your second listen. And if you're an NHL fan, tons of great locked on NHL coverage of the trade deadline. It's been a mad trade deadline. NBA-level trade deadline, I might even say. Uh, it's been pretty awesome. No Kevin Durant-level trades, but plenty of good players on the move. And if you want it all broken down, locked on NHL is the place to go check it out wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. We'll leave it there. Talk to you Friday. Enjoy Raptors Wizards. Bye-bye. <laughs>